I've always been confused by idols, right? bits of metal and wood that people worship and kind of have their devotion to. Reminds me of DT at school. I love DT at school. For some of you, you know, old school monks, you woodwork. Maybe you called it, uh, what my dad would call it, woodwork. And uh, in DT, I loved it because you got to play with the tools. Uh, but also, we used to have a brilliant game of cricket in, in DT. Uh, me, my mate Sam and Charlie. One of us, if you had a tennis ball, it's a bonus. If not, you'd get a bit of sandpaper and scrunch it up, wrap a couple of elastic bands around it, you got your ball, and then you take one of the hand saws and you've got a cricket bat and uh, you get a brilliant game of cricket in, in, in the workshop. For some reason, Mr. Andrews didn't, didn't quite like that, so I spent most of the time sent out. But when I was in DT, we made bits of wood. You'd make like a box out of wood or a, a pencil holder out of wood or something. And the idea of taking that home, putting it on a shelf and worshiping it just seemed ridiculous. What, why, would, why would you do that? You know, or a, a golden calf. These things being uh, a source of our worship and devotion and being drawn to it spiritually. I've, I've never quite kind of got to grips with that. But I do have kind of a little bit more understanding, although it's still wrong, for people that have, have worshipped the sun. In our day, we would even still call people sun worshippers. Oh, yeah, a sun. they love being in the sun. You know, people love to be sun-kissed, love to... In fact, in the West, sunbeds are like a multi-million pound industry. We have songs about the sun. You know, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are grey. It's like we have songs where we sing about the sun. And some people, they're, they're wet, their mood is determined by, oh, if it's sunny, I'm in a good mood. There's no sun, I've just been in a rubbish mood all week. So I can kind of understand a little bit more how people, I guess in ancient times, especially you would, would worship the sun, would lay before it, would see it as this amazing thing. Because for all they knew, it was the, the biggest thing in the sky and it was the source of power and light and warmth and, and it would bring life. And so you can, you can kind of sympathise a little bit with, with why they worshipped it. In fact, Moses had a massive issue with the people of Israel when it came to worshipping the sun. And, and he would have to warn them regularly. If you, if you turn to in, in Deuteronomy 4, Moses is kind of warning them really starkly in verse 19. He says, and beware, at least your eyes are lifted and to, to heaven where you see the sun, the moon, the stars and all the hosts of heaven and you be drawn away and you bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to the people under the whole of heaven. Moses said, don't be fooled into worshipping the gift, the son a gift uh, instead of the giver. Don't be drawn to be worshipping the thing that is created rather than the creator. That is what Moses is getting at. Later on in Deuteronomy 17, he has like an even, he gives them a start warning that basically those that worship idols, including the sun, should be stoned to death. This is, this is serious, serious business. Don't worship idols. And so throughout scripture, you'll see lots of reminders to us that the sun isn't God. The sun isn't to be worshipped. The beginning of the Bible, right at the start, Genesis, in the opening chapters, it reminds us that the sun was made on the fourth day. It wasn't there in the beginning. It wasn't the source of life and light and creation. It was created on the fourth day. God was there in the beginning and is the source of light and creation and created the sun. So right at the beginning of the Bible, and then right at the very end of the Bible, Revelation 22.5 says that there will be no sun and that the Lord will be their light. Again, this reminder that the, Lord, that the sun is not the ultimate source of light, but 
but God is. And then there's other instances. Exodus 10, one of the plagues is that the Lord brings darkness over the earth. He's basically saying, I'm, I'm in control of light, not the sun. The Lord governs the sun. Judges 10, that famous story where literally time stands still. The sun stands still in the sky. The Lord is, the God is saying, I'm the one who's in control of time, and not the sun. I'm the one who governs the time and governs the sun. So we see these continual reminders throughout scripture that the son is created and not creator, that the son is the gift and not the giver. And, and so in some ways, the son could be a bit of a problem for us, sort of theologically, as, a, as something that could draw us away from God, that could, people did and some still do today, though not as many, worship the son. But that's not what I want to talk about necessarily today. We want to talk about the opposite, how although the son can be a problem, it also is a remarkable opportunity to reveal to us some of what God is like. That the Son reveals and points us to God and shows what he's like. That's what we've been doing in this series, God of Things, looking at things within creation and how they point us to God, reveal about who he is and some of his character. And the Son is, does that in, in quite a remarkable way. You think about it, the Son is powerful and radiant and bright in the way that God is powerful and radiant and bright. The sun is um, always shining, even when you can't see it. Like, even when it's hidden from you, the sun is still shining. If it's behind clouds, it's still shining. If it's on the other side of the world, it's still shining, even if it's dark here, in the way that God is always working. He's always at work, even when we can't see it. Reminds me of the refrain at the end of that song, Waymaker, even when I can't see it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. God is like that. The sun is an independent light source. It doesn't depend on anything else for its light. And by that I mean the moon shines because it reflects the sun. The sun doesn't work like that. It's an independent light source in the way that God is an independent source of power and of creation. And so we see how there's many different ways that the sun points us. In fact, you'd probably be hard-pressed to think of anything else in creation other than humans that reveal more of what God is like than the sun. There's lots of scriptures that do the same thing. You know, when you think uh, about Psalm 84, it talks about how the Lord is a sun and a shield. He's strong and powerful and mighty like, like the sun. Matthew 17, when Jesus goes up to the transfiguration, what does it say of Christ? It says his face shone like the sun. He was radiant and bright and glorious like the sun. So the scripture is not shy of, of making these comparisons of, of, of kind of pointing how uh, the character of God, some of it is revealed and shown us through the sun. And none is, is probably more glorious uh, and kind of leads us to devotion and worship than one that we get at the very end of the Old Testament in one of the minor prophets. And so you can open your Bible. If you uh, go kind of three quarters of the way through your Bible, you'll find the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, the first gospel, and then turn back one page and you get uh, the book of Malachi, which was the final uh, book of the Hebrew Bible, or to us at least. And in that, basically, you've got a people of Israel that would, had wandered from God, had done their own thing, they'd uh, been in exile, but they've come back, they're beginning to rebuild the city and the temple and things were going good, but they've begun to lost their way a little bit. And so God raises up a prophet, raises up a preacher, Malachi, to, uh, to warn them, to instruct them, to, to tell them about some things. And he does. And then at the very end, his last message to them is, is about the coming day of the Lord. 
He says there's a, there's a day coming and, and that's what we're going to read together. And he, he didn't know that it was then going to be 400 years, by the way, after he said this until Christ comes. He didn't know that. Well, I called the silent years where there wasn't any, God didn't raise up any prophets in that time. But this is what he says. We're going to read uh, some verses from chapter four. It says this. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evil doers will, be, will stumble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stalk, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. And on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statues and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is God's word. I want us to spend the majority of our time today just looking at verse 2 which says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. You shall, be, you shall go out like leaping calves from a storm. Just before that verse, we get a really stark warning. Malachi is giving the people of Israel and, and, and us a stark warning that God will come again in judgment. And the arrogant and the evildoers, those that have rejected God, those that have neglected him, those that have turned away from him, that have been arrogant and evil in these days, that they will be judged. He says it will be, they'll be set ablaze, it will be like a burning oven. It's a, it's a stark warning. But what I always love about, about the Bible is that you'll get a stark warning like that and then you get the word but. Verse 2 starts with a but. But for those who fear my name, for those who, for, who are humble enough to follow me, to accept me, for those who have put their trust in me, who are devoted and worship me, who build their lives around me, who fear me, for those people, the sun, it says, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And so we get this beautiful image where the, the sun, S-O-N, Christ, that's what he's talking about here, is likened to the sun, S-U-N, like the, like the sun of righteousness. He's, he's, Christ is, is compared to like a sunrise or, or the sun breaking through. And, and, and I basically just want us to, to kick that image around a little bit and just explore it. Or you, you do that with me. And the first thing is he talks about a sunrise. Now, we all love a sunrise. Like to look at a sunrise, is, especially on, on a sunny, clear day, beautiful. You know, come and show me someone who says, oh no, I don't like a sunrise, I'll show you a liar. Everyone likes looking at a sunrise. It, it, it's so sort of it's majestic to look at. And, and when you see it, it's quite remarkable because the thing about a sunrise is that it's consistent, right? It, it, it's guaranteed. It happens every day. 
you, you would never find yourself, you know, let's say you woke up early one morning before the sun rose and, and, and you're sitting with someone, you're having a cup of tea and you're saying, oh, you know, what are you up to today? So I've got a few things lined up, you know, and they say, yeah, it'd be nice if the sun rises today, wouldn't it? You say, oh, yeah, I saw something on the news yesterday. Should be OK today. I think it's going to rise. You, you just wouldn't have that conversation. You'd be, you know, of course the sun's going to rise. It's consistent. It's guaranteed. It's sure in the way that God is consistent and guaranteed and sure. He's like a sunrise, he's constant, he's constant every day, he's constant in our lives, throughout all things, through highs and lows, through good times and bad, the Lord is constant, like a sunrise. This is what he's kind of trying to draw out. Because the, the sunrise in the ancient world was a symbol of promise and hope. It was a symbol of what is to come. And, and this is kind of what Malachi is trying to draw out. He's saying, no, it's like a, it's a symbol of hope of a hope that is to come. And like I said, he he didn't know that it was going to be 400 years after. The people of, God's people had to, for 400 years, they would have held on to this. there's, there's, There's an assurance that Christ will come. Which is why, if if, if you turn to to Luke's gospel, at the very beginning of Luke, you get the story about Zechariah. You know, the husband of Elizabeth, she, she falls pregnant in her old age. Zechariah doesn't believe it. God silences him and then eventually uh, his son, John, who John the Baptist, is born. And afterwards, Zechariah gives this amazing prophecy at the end of Luke chapter 1 where he's beginning to just prophesy that, kind of about the, that this promise is being ushered in. And at the very end of verse 78, he says this, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. It's like the, the, the realisation that Christ is that, he is that, he's that sunrise that's coming. He's that hope that's come to, to rescue us, to bring lightness, to shine light as the sunrise does on a, on a, on a gloomy day as the sun rises and, and, and the darkness is finished. This is the, the hope, the promise that he's holding on to. This is what he's, he's, he's kind of, for, for, for Zechariah, for the people of Israel, it was a sure hope. And it's the same for us. Maybe you're someone who needs to hear that today. Maybe you're thinking, man, you need to be reminded of the consistency and the assurance of God that you can put your hope in him as a firm foundation. That he's consistent. Even where your life, maybe your life at the minute doesn't feel consistent. Maybe things are chopping and changing. The COVID's been mental. The last two years have felt like that. Well, today we can rest assured that as the sun rises, as so God is sure and firm foundation for us. And I, I just want to draw this image out a little bit more. Because not only have you got the sunrise, I mean, the sun, is, the sun and the weather, listen, you live in England, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because if you've been here for more than a week, then you've experienced some dodgy weather. You know, you'd have been disappointed by the weather if you spend more than two or three days in England, yeah? Because we all know that on any given day, the weather could be anything. We've all, all of us would have experienced those moments where you've planned a barbecue or a picnic or a day out at the beach or just a day out in the sun or, or, or a holiday in the UK and you, you kind of want it to be sunny. You need the sun on those occasions and, you, and, and you're looking at the sky and it's just thick, dark cloud. It looks ominous. You think, this is going to chuck it down, <laughs> you know. And you're kind of hoping. My dad was always the optimist, you know, always the optimist with the weather. When we would have a day like that in the family, I'd be like, oh, dad, the weather. And he'd always say the same thing. Nah, the sun will burn through the clouds. 
and he would say it with such like a guarantee, like he was a weatherman or something, you know, now nah, the sun will burn through by this afternoon. Sometimes it would, but as you know, sometimes it didn't. And that even reminds me, when me and Sylvia got married, we, we managed to go out to Mexico for, for our honeymoon. It's brilliant, lovely country, and it's quite, obviously, it's tropical weather. And so on the weather app, every day, right, it would say, like, thunderstorms. I'm thinking, oh, man, I didn't come here for this. And I'd sit on our balcony in the morning, I'd wake up, and we was overlooking the sea, and there'd be these thick clouds, all darkness. And the first day especially, I was thinking, oh, man, this is... It can be rough, and, but, but every day the same thing happened. You go down, have a bit of breakfast, and sure enough, half nine, ten, the sun would just begin to pierce through the clouds. Literally, the, the, it's like the, the, the sun would just begin to burst through in the darkness, and the kind of greyness would just be broken, and the light would shine through. That, that, that's the image that we get here. That in the midst of darkness and difficulty, the, the, the light will, will burst through and break through. That's what he's talking about. The sun of righteousness will rise. And this, this image that he's given us is basically saying that, 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 that when, when Christ came, when Christ came, that the light will shine. And not in a kind of British optimistic, hedge your bets, hope for the best, you know, bring your raincoat and your umbrella just in case type way. That's not, no, it's a, it's a, it's a firm assurance, a hope that is guaranteed and a promise of scripture that when he comes, he'll come and he will burn away with his son. He will shine light on gloom and darkness and anguish and injustice and sin and death. As sure as the sun will rise, as sure his light will shine into those things. As sure as the sun will shine, he will, as we said in Zechariah, he will come to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. He will shine into every nook and cranny, every dark spot, every shadow spot. There's no area of darkness that can resist the light of God when he comes in. There's no area of darkness that can resist the light of Christ. You might think, oh, but my life's too dark. There's been some dark things in my past. There's some things that I'm facing now. There's some issues. You might feel like that. There's some shame. There's some guilt. There's some things. There's no area of darkness that's too dark for the light of Christ to come and shine in it. Of himself, Jesus even said that I'm the light of the world. Of Christ, it says that he came as light and that light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Matthew Henry, who was a a, a bloke who lived in the kind of late 16, early 1700s, and, and he wrote this massive Bible commentary, like huge, you know, biggest, like literally massive. And, um, and of this passage, he says something quite profound, and I, and I want to read it to you. He, he says this, talking of Jesus, he says, He is to men's souls as the sun is to the visible world, which without the sun would be a dungeon. So would mankind be darkness without the light of the glory of God shining in the face of Christ. I love that. The sun is to the visible world, which without the sun we would be a dungeon. So would mankind be, darkness without the light of the glory of Christ. When he comes, he shines his light. Our lives would be like dungeons. It would be darkness. There would be doom and gloom. No hope in this world beyond this life. But with Christ... With Christ there is hope. With Christ there is light. That's our firm foundation. That's what we can build our lives upon. And this is what he says time and time again, that Christ is the image of the unseen God. 
He, it says at the beginning of Hebrews that his face is the radiance, the radiance of God, that he came to bring light into our darkness, that the sun of righteousness, the sun of righteousness will rise, my friends, with healing in his wings. It kind of goes on to say that, we'll, that on that day, it compares us to like calves. It would be like calves leaping through fields of spring fields of green and with joy and with hope. The kind of image of a young calf just bouncing and leaping around. It's like, that's what we're to be like because of this. Why? Oh, because we're optimists. Oh, because we've got you know, our positive thinking. Oh, because we've always got a good outlook. I always look on the bright side of life. No, because Christ has come to shine his light in the darkness. And he's come to bring... He's come, not just to shine light, but to bring healing. He comes with healing in his wings. This, this image, this beautiful poetic image of, of, of sun rays kind of bursting through. And as you look at sun rays, they're, they're kind of wing-like. They look like this glorious wing-like image and, uh, to kind of bring protection and healing and shelter. Wings are often spoke about in Scripture to do that. They come and, you know, as a mother bird would, would shelter her, her young under her wings for protection and comfort and security. So, and that's what, that's what Christ has come to do with us. It reminds me of the story of Ruth. If, if, if you're familiar with the story of Ruth, is that this young lady, Ruth, who, who was widowed and her mother-in-law was widowed and they were in a, in a sticky place and they were, it was quite dangerous for them in the way that they were living and what they were doing. And, and, and essentially what happens in their life is that God sends someone, God sends Boaz, and he uses, God uses Boaz to bring about redemption and restoration for him. And, and Boaz says this to Ruth about it. Quite remarkably, he says, The Lord will repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Maybe today you, you need to be reminded that you can come and you can take refuge in the wings of the Almighty. The light has shone in the darkness and, and, and as the light breaks the darkness, he brings healing. In some instances, physical healing for some of us. But for all of us, and most importantly, he heals us spiritually. He comes and he heals us spiritually and he, and he reconciles us to God and he brings us back and he provides a place for us of security, of shower and of comfort. That even in the difficult times, even in the most desperate times, we know that he is there, like a sunrise, constant, every day. That's why we talk about that the light has shone. And, and as I close, it's, it's why it's so important for us to continually, as we have been doing, to remind ourselves of these things. Because as we walk through this season that we're in, as we walk through difficult times, it's so easy to drift to the left, to the right. It's so easy to forget some of these promises of God. But every day as we see the sun rise, every day as we see the sun break through the clouds, we can look upon it and even do that this week in the summer. If we get any this summer, you can think, wow. This is the light of Christ that shines. And the sun is, is, is remarkable in that way. That's why every Christmas, we sing that amazing carol written by John Wesley to remind ourselves of this light. Hark the herald, angels sing. Where he says, how the sun of righteousness, light and life 
to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons on earth, born to bring second birth. Jesus Christ, the son of righteousness, has risen with healing in his wings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we get to just to study your word and see how your creation all points to you, the glorious one, the son of righteousness. Lord, that you've come with healing in your wings in the way that you've, 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 you've risen. Lord, and not only has the sun risen, but you've risen from the grave. You've risen again. Lord, defeating the power of sin and death and you've brought healing to us. And we pray, help us to see you as that consistent, sure foundation that we can build upon that will never let us down. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.